The uh, theme for this Advent season uh, has been the theme of Christmas hope in a hopeless world. And I think it was last week I invited you to pay attention to the front of the bulletin, not only to the uh, beautiful graphic of the sermon theme, Christmas hope in a hopeless world, the Advent theme, but also the great quote by Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, who has some very profound things to say about waiting, about trusting God when curves in the road come, and, and uh, I hope you will take some time to reflect on that. We've been running it on the front of the bulletin during this entire Advent season. Just a moment, I'm going to read one of those classic, beautiful uh, Christmas texts, Matthew, the first chapter, verses 18 through 25. Before I read that, I invite us to a time of prayer, if you would bow with me, please. Our gracious and eternal God, we come to you with hearts open and ready, but also with questions. When we think about hope, we're not always clear on your plan for our lives. Uh, It's not always clear what we're waiting for. There is a restlessness in our spirits. But in the midst of that, we somehow sense you are not done with us. That you are not finished yet with what you're trying to accomplish in this world. And so we ask for hearts that would trust you more. We wait, not always patiently, not always trustingly, but we pray that you will increase our faith and give us a quietness, a peace, the capacity to trust you without reservation, even when we can't see around the corners. We pray for fresh energy, for new resolve, for Uh, the capacity to love and and serve without complaining. And, oh God, we pray for a larger world that is so ravaged with crisis. We pray for the innocent, suffering people in Aleppo. We pray that you would divinely superintend the evacuation efforts as the buses attempt to roll there. We think about the homeless people and refugees Uh, living in this dangerously cold time, that you would not only care for them today, but give us the courage and the willpower to put into place systems that would alleviate hunger and poverty. We pray for our partners in South Dakota today, that you would keep them warm and bless them this Christmas season, and our partners in Ukraine as they deal with their own set of uh, geopolitical problems, and that you would bless their church Uh, their churches as they serve the gospel. And God, now we ask that you forgive us and cleanse us, comfort those who are grieving, speak deeply to those who are struggling and confused, show the way to those who are lost, and gather us up now under the authority of Scripture and feed our hungry souls through Christ our Lord. Amen. Matthew, the first chapter beginning in verse 18. If you're able, would you stand as God's word comes among us? Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your 
wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's pretty clear to me that Joseph was a man with a plan. Joseph was a man who uh, had his life trajectory all planned out. He found this beautiful young lady he wanted to marry. They were going to have children. He was going to be a carpenter. He was going to make a living. They were going to have babies. Life was going to be happy. And uh, Joseph had this plan. He was in control, right? Like all of us, we're in control. We have our plans until we don't have our plans. Joseph was in charge until he was no longer in charge. And he became no longer in charge when there was this mysterious divine conception of a baby. And they were not married. And Joseph knew the baby was not his. And so Joseph moved from a plan to hopelessness. Hopelessness, by definition, is when all of your options are gone. Right? That's hopelessness, when all of your options and choices are gone. Uh, If he had exposed Mary publicly and shamed her publicly, as he had a legal right to do, it's likely she would have been stoned to death as per Jewish law allowed for adultery. If he, as Scripture says so delicately, put her away quietly, that is, quietly divorced her, because engagement, betrothal, was a legally binding relationship, if he put her away quietly, then he was probably dooming her to a life as a single mom in that kind of culture that didn't look kindly to single moms, and she would have had no way to make a living except by uh, some kind of dishonest means, perhaps prostitution. And if he took her as his wife... He would have been seen as complicit in, complicit in the adultery, and he would have been stained himself ceremonially in Jewish custom and law. He was out of options. He didn't have any choices. He was without hope. One of the fascinating uh, things I find about this passage is that it deals so honestly with interruptions. We have our plans... And then things happen that interrupt us. We have our plans and circumstances interrupt. And verse 18 reminds me that interruptions can be the space in which God works. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his uh, mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph before they lived together, she was found to be with child interruption big time. But the interruption is space for God to work. Also, as you read this verse, you see that interruptions are not only spaces for God to work, interruptions are spaces for us to be faithful. They are spaces for us 
to grow and accept the challenge. And then as I read verses 19 and 20, I'm reminded that we like to use permanent markers when we make our plans, but God encourages us to use pencils. You understand what I'm saying? You're a little sleepy. It's a little cold out there, but I think, I think you get that. In verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not willing to make a public disgrace of her, he made plans. Again, Joseph's a planner. He's a carpenter. He knows how to plan. So he planned to put her away privately, verse 20, but just when he had resolved to do this, notice the just in the nick of time, just when he resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord came to him and said, don't be afraid. So Joseph wanted to write his plans with permanent marker. And God says, no, Joseph, your plans are in pencil. I've got a, I've got a backup plan. There, there's hope. There's there's a way that I'm going to work in this situation. Now, the way, honestly, that some of us respond to hopelessness, whether it's a big thing or a little thing in our lives, uh, we often respond to hopelessness with panic because we're assuming we're the ones in charge. We often uh, respond to interruptions and hopelessness with anger and irritation. After all, I have my plans and my life. And we get angry. We get irritated. And then uh, one of my uh, faults is that sometimes when I am faced with hopelessness and uh, interruptions, uh, I resort to self-pity. I'm just, the, I'm just suffering more than any person in the whole world. you know. And have you ever done that? We all do that at times. But Joseph responds with faithfulness. See, I don't think the verses I've just read to you are the most exciting or the most pivotal verses in this narrative. I think the most pivotal verse in this narrative is not uh, Mary being found with child or even uh, the angel speaking to Joseph. I think the pivotal verse in this narrative is verse 24 when Joseph awoke from the dream and the scripture says very simply, he did as the Lord commanded him. That's where things turned. Nothing changed until he trusted what God told him to do. It it took a lot of faith to trust him to do what God said to do. He chose not irritation and anger, not self-pity, not any of those other panic responses. He chose to trust. Trusting God in the midst of hopelessness is one of the most difficult things to do. And when it's all said and done, trust is the only gift God, uh, Joseph had to give back to God. I mean, he, none of his resources, none of his wit, none of his carpentering ability, none of his common sense, none of those things were gifts. I love what uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber Uh, a pastor in Denver, has said about this particular passage. She said, Joseph had nothing to give God, and she said, nothing is God's favorite material to work with. God's favorite material to work with is nothing. She says, when God looks around and he sees nothing, God says, ah, finally something I can work with. Nothing. Instead of us trying to fix everything ourselves, we have to learn to trust. And that's so hard to do.
I want to remind you that the name that Jesus, the baby, was to be given was Jesus. And through uh, etymology and, and, and language translation, that means God saves. I want to say a word this morning to somebody who might be here who's never repented, never received Jesus Christ into your life. Maybe you haven't trusted Christ because uh, you're afraid you can't live up to it and you don't want to overcommit. Uh, or maybe you are very arrogantly assuming you can do self-salvation. Uh, you are depending on your own achievements, your own moral good. I want to remind you that the name for Jesus means God saves, not I save, not you save. God saves. Someone has pointed out very wisely that the book of Matthew contains some difficult obedience requests. In the Sermon on the Mount alone, there is the requirement that we love enemies, that we forgive others who've hurt us, that we be peacemakers, not warmongers, that we be people uh, who build relationships rather than ego. A lot of difficult commands. And, And the person who was pointing this out said, notice they come later in Matthew. Matthew starts with God saves, and then there are the difficult commands. We want to flip that around. We want to act as if we do these difficult things, as if we're climbing rungs of a ladder to earn our salvation. And God says, no, God saves first through Jesus. Good works do not produce salvation. Salvation produces the good works. And we need to remember that God saves. We have to learn to trust a God who asks us to trust in his son Jesus Christ and not think that we can figure it out by ourselves. Um, Several years ago, Janet and I were on, uh, we actually were attending a CBF General Assembly uh, in the Tampa area and we went to St. Petersburg uh, and paid for one of those uh, boat tours where you uh, get to have the dolphins chase the boat around. Uh, Somehow, 90 degree St. Petersburg weather sounds really good right now, doesn't it? But uh, I won't distract you too much with those thoughts. Some of you are going to go there and not come back. I shouldn't have said a thing. Um, And so, you know, we got in the boat, paid our money, and and along with several other people, sure enough, the dolphins came alongside, and it was just so fun. I don't know what there is that's so fun about those little critters, but uh, then the guide explained to us, now, you see those dolphins right right alongside and behind. He said, they're not really swimming. They're not working hard. They are simply enjoying the wake of the boat that's carrying them along. They're letting the boat do all the work. They're just enjoying letting the wake pull them. And I thought, you know, there's a, dolphins keep teaching us things. You know, sometimes we don't do it ourselves. We don't save ourselves. It's, it's trusting, not trying, that wins us the spiritual victory. But Jesus is not the only name used in the scripture for our Savior. Of course, Messiah is used early in the passage. But, the, but toward the end of the passage, he's also named Emmanuel, which means, of course, God with us. Think about that. We say it and sing it so much, we don't even think about it. God with us. God not only delivers and saves, God is with us. God's with us in good times and bad God's with us when we fail him and when we obey him. You can run from God and God is still with you. You can tell God you reject him and God's not going to go away. God with us. Wherever we go, 
whatever circumstance we're in, God is with us. Think about that stubborn, sticky love that will not let us go. That is phenomenal. And we always, often, I should say, think of the future as a place of terror and fear and hopelessness. I hear a lot of that today, don't you? A lot of terror, a lot of fear, a lot of hopelessness, as if that's what the future is. But Emmanuel means God's already been to the future. God is there waiting for us. We don't have to be afraid. You know, Bible scholars have finally figured out that one of the things about biblical hope that is so different from the world's idea of wishing is that biblical hope does not depend upon our mood. Biblical hope does not depend on how we feel. Biblical hope is grounded in the substance of the one who offers the hope, his character, his reputation, and God may be depended upon. That's the difference between our wishing and the hope that God offers. I read a delightful story about a man who was uh, in advanced years, but he remembered when he was a boy, he used to love to play in the woods, and he said he'd always take the the family's favorite horse named Bell, and he would ride her into the woods. And he would pretend like he was a knight in shining armor, and, and he would defeat the enemy, or he would pretend like he was fighting civil war battles, and he would just have a great time. And one day, uh, he was not very old. He, he went a little deeper into the woods than he normally went. He got a little disoriented about directions, didn't see any sun, and pretty soon, to make matters worse, a thunderstorm came up, And his dad had always warned him about don't be around trees when lightning begins to strike. And so he he grabbed the reins and he kept trying to direct Bell out. And the the more he went, the more he realized he was going the wrong direction. Then he turned around and he became really confused. And then he finally remembered something that his dad had told him. He said, if you ever get lost and you're riding Bell, drop the reins. Drop the reins and turn it over to Belle. She knows the way home. And he dropped the reins and Belle took him home safely. And this man who had lived to be in his 90s said, All through my life, I have faced hopeless situations. I have faced despair. I have faced forks in the road and I didn't know what to do. And I tried to always remember to drop the reins and trust God. Stop trying to do it myself to trust the reins, to drop the reins and trust God and let God lead, turn it over to God. In the midst of hopelessness, it's all we can do. God saves and God is with us. Let's pray. We open our hearts, O God, to your Spirit's beckoning. Guide us by your spirit, in all of our responses. With your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment of prayer, this is not a time of manipulation or uh, trying to force anything on anyone, but we always offer an altar call, a time of response. If God is speaking to you this morning about giving your life to Christ for the first time during this time when we stand and sing 
our response in just a moment. We invite you to come and uh, pray with one of us or let us answer your questions and help you further. Maybe you're already a Christian, but God is leading you to make this your church home. Uh, You may join by coming forward as well. Maybe you have another prayer burden right uh, where you are this morning. Something can be handed over to the Lord and you may trust him more completely without reservation. Whatever it is, we just uh, desire that every person be open to God's leading. Amen.